Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Charlie. We've got this episode jam-packed full of excitement. We'll have a little chat about the podcast I did last week with Warwick Schiller. But before that, I thought we'd just let you know that Equestrian Hub has opened up the podcast and magazine and put that in the gold member section. So if you're looking to hear more of me and also check out more of the news and action from around the world, then get head on over to theequestrianhub.com.au. Check out their membership section for some awesomeness. So we've got a, a pretty cool individual, even though she is a Kiwi. Uh, Nikki, we've got her all the way from South Island, New Zealand. Welcome, Nikki. Hello, thank you. Well, so Nikki was in Australia up until recently, and she's taken her little thoroughbred horse back to her native New Zealand, and she's just been having some problems uh, with feeding. So uh, let, let us, um, let's listen while you give us this very unique uh, experience. Right. So my horse has always been pretty good when it's come to feed time. And I can happily go in a pen with him and give him his um, breakfast or dinner. But recently, for some strange reason, he has started developing a little bit of aggression towards me when it comes to feed time. Um, he will pin his ears and uh, generally have quite a, a grumpy demeanour. Um, he has bitten me on a couple of occasions, but very strangely also, he gets an erect penis. Now, I assume this is a sign of aggression and dominance because he will also do it on occasion when I am rugging or unrugging him, which is another thing he's not particularly fond of. So my question to you is, how can I address this behaviour um, and stay safe and, and have a happy horse when it comes to feeding time? Well, that is something I've never quite experienced it like that. I've definitely had the, uh, you know, the biting and, and sort of a, a little bit of aggression when feeding or rugging, uh, but certainly getting uh, a hard one's a new one. But anyway, we're hoping you, <laughs> you learn something new every day, I guess. That's certainly true. So tell us a little bit more because uh, just before we started recording, you mentioned a few things that I, I didn't know already. So just to let the listeners know you brought uh jet is it over from queensland to australia uh, queensland to new zealand when uh when was it it was about the middle of the year about june or july and when he arrived i remember you saying that i think he, his condition wasn't the best when he arrived no he arrived in um pretty poor conditions so um Initially, there was a, a pretty strong focus on on building his condition and putting some weight on him. He was severely underweight when he arrived. So he was getting fed three times a day. Um, so, yeah, small concentrated feeds uh, to try and help um, yeah, build his condition. And as by concentrated feeds, that would be sort of pellets and chaff 
and in what roughly what quantities? Oh, so, I mean, I, I did consult with um, feed manufacturers and nutritionists to um, devise a, a safe feeding regime for him. And obviously, you know, horses can't take large amounts of feed at any given time. So the recommendation was to split into three feeds a day, which I did. Uh, so probably around a, a kilo of um, grain per feed. And he was also on 24-7, you know, turnout on um, fairly good quality pasture mm. and, and ad-lib hay also. And he was um, paddocked, he is still paddocked by himself, but he has friends over the fence in all directions. Yeah. So, uh, and then apart from, you know, that lack of condition and bulking him back up, what other has he had any other physical or health issues in the last couple of months? Um, so all was going well. Um, once I was satisfied with his um, body condition, I started him under saddle again, and everything was going wonderfully. Um, but then he developed some lameness. Um, I'm not exactly sure of the cause. Uh, so I stopped working him and um, it may be farrier related. He's a typical off-track thoroughbred with um, mm. not wonderful feet. So I've been working with my um, terrific farrier to address some issues there. And he is also currently being treated for a sarcoid on his face. So that's been a little unpleasant for him as well. As in um, the treatment, he hasn't been a fan of getting the treatment on his face or? No, it involved um, three times daily application of a um, ointment, which yeah. initially was okay, but then it caused the area to become, you know, it, it was a bit uncomfortable. Sensitive. For him and, yeah, quite sensitive. Yeah, so that sounds like you're having a great run in 2020. Oh, and then he put his leg through a fence <laughs> just to um, add to our woes. So, yeah, he's um, it's been one thing after another. And can you sort of, could you put a pinpoint a time when he started to become a lot more aggressive um, and displaying those other behaviours uh, at feed time? Uh, it was from pretty much as soon as he arrived from overseas. Yeah. Um, the, the behaviour was obvious and, as I say, quite um, an unpleasant surprise because he, he hadn't been like that previously. I, um, yeah, I reckon just with, with all the, the travelling he's been doing and the change of feed and even though he, you know, you consult with the nutritionists and the feed manufacturers over there, his, you know, gut microbiome has been used to just slightly different feeds over here um and even though you it might sound similar on paper that you know his gut would have changed in the flight and then obviously just before the flight he when he wasn't fed quite enough um and then there's there's always that chance of him getting a bit ulcery and then it not quite recovering even when he's fed good quality pasture and hay and feed and good turnout it can be very hard for them to recover from even mild ulcers sometimes. 
Um, oh, I forgot. I forgot to mention that. Sorry, he did also undergo a, a, a course of imeprazole um, treatment for ulcers, and, suspected ulcers. And did um, did he get scoped at all? And did did you find any change before or after the ulcer guard? No, decided not to undergo scoping. We just proceeded on the basis that um, he, in all likelihood, had ulcers. Um, mm. He had some body work done as well, and. Um, they believed that he was yeah, showing signs of ulcers. So we undertook that course of treatment. And um, look, I'm very happy with his condition and um, his appearance now. It's just the behaviour and the disposition that needs some work. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't rule that out because there are um, plenty of instances where even after a, a routine treatment of ulcer guard or meprazole, it doesn't, it doesn't actually, actually fully resolve, fully resolve. the um, ulcers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is one, you know, uh, you can spend a couple hundred dollars on the, on the scoping, but then you also, it will definitively rule in or out that issue. Uh, okay. You know, which is hard to know um, without actually doing that. Uh and then, yeah, I guess definitely uh, was he a bit bitey at rugging in general or when he's near food? Previously, you mean, or? At the moment. At the moment, yeah, he's um, still exhibiting um, signs of discomfort or um, unhappiness, whatever it is, around um, rugging, feeding. And um, girthing as well. I think with the um, the feeding one, I think like you said, it has to be safe. Uh, you know, it's I would I if they're that bad, I would either be um, you know just putting the feed in onto a feeder over the fence where you know you don't confront the issue head on um, and work around it, or if you have to go into the paddock and to feed them you know I'd be taking just like a sort of a flag or you know even a dressage whip or something and um not not necessarily to hit them just more for your own protection but I would uh you know aim to just have them if they did approach for the food where I would just very gently you know be waving the whip or waving the flag until, until they backed up even just a little bit and then um you know, say good boy, and then I'd put the feet in and walk off. I wouldn't try and have them to be to be perfect, but I definitely want them where they back up away from you just a little bit. And even even I uh, had one which was really bad, and I had to feed her over the fence, but I would still get her to back up away from the gate and the fence before I put the food in over the gate. Uh, and then I'd worked up to going in and having a backup and then putting the food in and then eventually when she was very sort of respectful of that space I'd go in and then stand and when she would walk up to me very calmly then I would put the feed in uh but she was you know you have to read the signs if she's coming in or he is coming in with the hard on and the ears back then I would have yeah something that is um like a flag to be able to send them back so have you tried anything like that you know trying to push him back or have you found it not helpful 
Uh, I have been doing that, not with a whip or a flag, but just with my body language and my voice, just trying to get him to stay back, to give me some space um, until such time as I've yeah, put the feed in the bin and then I walk away. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you want to get it to the point where you don't need any of those other tools, but definitely at the moment where it is, you know, it's at risk of being a little dangerous, I would have something else just to back you up a little bit. Um, and, you know, it's, I guess, it, it'll, it's similar to, in a way, positive reinforcement. They, if you have a, even you don't have to have a clicker, um, but if he steps back and you say good boy and drop the feet in enough times, he's going to hopefully start to associate, uh, you know, him stepping back when you're at the feed bin and then getting the food. Yes. Um, but you have to be quite consistent at that. And there's nothing wrong with using a, you know, a whip or anything, you know, even another bucket. Um, I've used them before when I, I've gone in with brood mares and st stuff like that in a more of a herd situation. And uh, that's, can he reach any of the horses over the fence or is he, he can just see horses on, on each side? Um, there is one that he can reach over the fence. That's good. That's at least if he's got something, another horse that if they both agree, they can, you know, groom each other. Um, yes, they do that. And I occasionally put them in together as well. So he is getting some time with a buddy. Excellent. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, and with the rugging and the girthiness, uh, well, let's, with the girthiness, yeah, they all sound like they're a bit interrelated. Uh, and you just have to, I take it really slowly with that. Oh, there's a really good video that Warwick Schiller put up, uh, which uh, I just interviewed him for the podcast last week. So I'll put that uh, video that he did I should do one myself, but his one's pretty good, uh, in the show notes. And what he does, that any time the horse gets a bit, uh, shows signs of discomfort when the girth's being done up, he backs off. Um, and if he get reaches around to try and nip you or nibble you, he just rubs his hands on his face very gently, you know, trying to avoid being bitten, but keep rubbing the horse while he's showing signs of discomfort rather than tightening the girth. And then he just keeps repeating that and um, then, you know, it might take a bit longer in the beginning, but, uh, you know, it really sort of the idea is that you'd give that horse the choice to say, hey, I'm in discomfort and you back off and then you do it again. And if he, he, if he keeps saying that he's in discomfort, you keep backing off rather than going, oh, I don't care, I'm doing it up anyway. Okay. So giving yourself that extra time, that's always um, hard. Uh, and then with rugging, if he's like this, it's a, I think it'd be a similar fix of taking the time, but it's probably something you'd want to have him tied up for or have someone holding his head until the other. I think that issue with the rugging will resolve itself when the other things resolve. Okay. So that, that one, the rugging's probably just, for me, I would just have them held in a halter or tied up so that it's just a little bit easier to manage. Um, certainly sounds like he's going through a rough trot at the moment, uh, you know, and he's got a few things stacked against him, but he definitely needs just a bit of patience and needs a bit, a bit of luck by the sound of things. Yes. Bring on 2021. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I think also with the with the food, uh, you know, you could sort of use counter conditioning or and in a similar way, positive reinforcement or clicker training with the girthiness um, to reward that. But I think with positive reinforcement, they start off, um, you know, by feeding. Georgia Bruce is really good at it. You know, they'll get them where the horse has to turn its head away to get the treat. And I think things like that would be really good for him where he has to learn to turn his head away from you to get that food reward. And then right. you know, when you go to do the girth up, you make that you have a noise or a clicker, or you could just use your voice if it's a distinctive sound. And um, like Kia Aura, you know, he's probably never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> and then you give that food on the offside um, because you definitely don't want him turning around and like going, where's my treats and nibbling for treats. <laughs> Cause that's, Correct. that would, that would lead in, into further problems with the other areas. So I wouldn't use the food treat straight away, but that's something if you get the food aggression under control, that I find that can be really helpful with that girthiness to counter condition um, and to change that association with the girth pressure. But definitely going really slow with that girth pressure. And I do a lot of rubbing uh, around on the girth area. And I think, I don't know if there's a video out there, Tristan Tucker, does a, a similar thing where he sort of really pushes into the muscles around the girth area and then waits for them to relax a little in the neck and the head. So just being teaching them that they that pressure will come away um, if they can find that bit of relaxation. So sometimes you've got to try, I find you've got to try a couple different things to see what works better for him. Yes. Um, so don't you. I find if you do something a couple of days in a row and you go, no, this really isn't getting anywhere, either we're probably doing it wrong or the horse needs a slightly different approach. I'd be interested to, um, yeah, check in on the progress in um, in a couple of weeks. Yes, thank you. You've made some really great uh, recommendations there, which I will definitely be trying, and I'll keep you posted on our progress. Are there any other things um, that you've thought about trying that you're not sure about? Uh, I guess I've just been wondering how much of it is perhaps discomfort and how much of it's learned behaviour. So I really like your suggestions, for example, with the girth thing about just taking it really slowly and, you know, stroking, rubbing and... Um, possibly at some stage, as you say, when the... Uh, food aggression is under control to try some clicker training and just really get him thinking about it in a, a different and positive way. Yeah, it's really hard to know exactly how much is that pain and discomfort and how much is um, uh, learned behaviour. It it's, it's quite often, I, I, I'd say most horses, it's a little bit of discomfort and then, but they're very smart and they're very quick to learn those those what we would call bad behaviors you know but it's just signs that the horse showing discomfort and they just then become exacerbated so they might look really bad but you know the horse might only be in a little bit of pain but it's hard for us to know so we have to treat it like it, there is still a bit of pain there um you know before we start going firmer with the pressure and the tools that we're using yeah 
So, yeah, I'll definitely try and dig up a couple of videos. I wish I had a competition horse that I bought off another professional and back in 2016. And when I first went to go in the paddock to feed her, she would just gallop around and just gallop around and put a pin her ears. She wouldn't come near me and I'd just have to stand there. And in the beginning, as soon as she stopped running, I'd put the feed in and walk out. And then gradually I got to the point where she would come a little closer and I'd put the feet in and walk out. And I got, it, it took about two weeks or so before she would walk up and let me touch her before having the feed. Um, but just doing it really, really gradually. And even, um, you know, in smaller steps than you think. Yeah. Well, um, now I better let you go before we start talking about rugby and I start <laughs> crying, you know. <laughs> go the ABs. Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on, Nikki, and uh, look forward to hearing how everything goes with Jet. Thanks, Charlie. I really appreciate your time. And for everyone else out there, if you've got a horse with a similar problem as Jet, maybe try some of those techniques out or look up those videos I mentioned of, uh, say, Warwick Schiller does some fantastic work. And of course, we just, I just interviewed him last week on the Right Rain podcast, which if you head on over to the Equestrian Hub and become a gold or platinum member, you get all those podcasts and many more benefits. He was really, really interesting. His, um, you know, current motto at the moment is if you change the way you look at a problem or look at things the things you look at change which is probably uh, me butchering the quote by Wayne Dyer but he's really looking at horse training a little bit differently and, and trying to do things in as soft a way as possible and also how to be out of control the rider or you know the owner's own emotions and body and mental state before we put these um you know judgments and expectations onto the horse and that's definitely a, a huge thing when the horse doesn't do exactly what we want or they behave in a different way we think they're being naughty or they're trying to do something to us when really they're just reacting to what's going on in their world their horses are very reactionary you know they're not forward thinkers they think about finding food finding water and where their friends are and also getting away from pain and discomfort so it's he's really looking at how can he get the horse to seek that relief of pressure in through the work that he does and he's got some really interesting techniques and um lots and lots of videos on social media so go and check out that podcast because you you'll hear a few things that i've certainly never talked about with anyone else or any other riders at all uh, so plenty of things in there across a wide array of topics and then you know we've had a few recommendations for some female guests on the podcast we had amanda ross last month and you know now they want more women so i'm happy to provide that as long as you can provide me with some names and also look forward to having another problem to hopefully solve next week on Ask Charlie. So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. And if you're not sure about uh, any of the stuff that we've got going on, head on over to the equestrianhub.com.au or any of our 
social media pages. We're all over Facebook and Instagram. We're basically world famous because the equestrian hub is for the horse enthusiast, no matter what type of horse you're enthusiastic about, whether you've been to the Olympics or you've never even owned a horse. gives you a place to go for information, inspiration, and sometimes more importantly in the corona times and leading up to Christmas, the opportunity for some online retail therapy. And if you follow along there, you might even find out about what you need to get me for Christmas. So thanks again for listening and look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks.